If you have your Bibles and you're able, would you join me for read the Bible today? We read from the second chapter of Luke, beginning in verse 15. The scripture says this. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of God for the people of God on this Lord's day. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated, please. The traditional Christmas story includes the announcement to the shepherds. We read it every year, right? Birth announcements are pretty common today. Whether they come in conventional mail or whether they come on social media, we love to share the news when a child is born. And we've celebrated the announcement of the birth of the Savior, the Son of God. Now, we don't have all the vital statistics and facts. We do not know how much he weighed when he was born. We don't know how long he was. There are no photos to be distributed on Facebook of baby Jesus. There's a lot we do not know, not only about this birth, but about the early life of our Savior. Verse 19 of our text says, But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. You know, most scholars believe that Mary is the source for much of the biblical record of the birth of Jesus and his early life. The announcement of the birth of the king was made to Zechariah, was made to Elizabeth, it was announced to Mary and Joseph by God's messenger, These same messengers, the scripture says, made the birth announcement to humble shepherds, humble shepherds on the hillside surrounding Bethlehem. Which they knew would be a source of joy for all people. And they broke into song when they delivered it. Each announcement regarding the birth of our Savior, is filled with wonder and joy. Now, shepherds are mentioned dozens of times in the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Great men like Abraham, Moses, King David, they were shepherds. The psalmist David beautifully expresses the responsibilities and the concerns of the good shepherd. 
these herders or shepherds started out as kind of wandering nomads, living in tents, and had very little personal property. They moved from place to place, always trying to find food and water for their flocks. Now, closer to the time of Jesus, when urban life was a little more developed, shepherds may have also lived in or near villages. They had the right to let their flocks graze on the hillsides near the village. In Jesus' day, shepherds were still a vital occupation. There were a lot of shepherds. Jesus, in fact, refers to himself as a shepherd. He often used the qualities of a good shepherd to teach important lessons. If you look at John chapter 10, he uses this beautiful analogy of the shepherd. Even God is described as a shepherd in the prophet Isaiah and in the most familiar of all the Psalms. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd. Shepherds in ancient Israel likely worked with broad-tailed Syrian variety of sheep. They say that these sheep have large fatty tails and a thick fleece. The rams in this breed are horned. They are docile animals, they are easily led, and they are completely at the mercy of their environment and predators. That's why shepherds were so important. The shepherds faced an ongoing challenge of teaching the sheep and the goats to obey his commands. Good shepherds took tender care of the animals in their charge, and the scripture says they gave them names to which they would respond in that same 10th chapter of John's Gospel. In the spring, each day, a shepherd would take his flock from the pen near his home and would graze on nearby village pastures. During this season, birth of lambs and kids would greatly expand the size of the flock. Workers would also shear the winter fleece from the sheep. It was a, it was a time of great celebration. Sometimes someone who only had a few sheep would kind of assign them or hire a shepherd to add them to a larger flock and take care of them. And sometimes hired shepherds had a reputation for not showing as much concern for the animals of others as they did for their own sheep. After the fields near the village were harvested, the shepherd would allow the sheep to graze on the new shoots coming up or on the grain that was left among the stubble of the fields. When summer heat set in, the shepherds would move their flocks to cooler pastures on higher ground. For days on end, shepherds would work and sleep outdoors, allowing the flocks to graze traveling across the hillsides. At times they might seek shelter for their flock in a cave where they could be protected from predators. There are several of those large caves around the city of Bethlehem. The shepherd's calm, reassuring voice would still the sheep when they were frightened by the sounds of the night. 
Each evening, the shepherd would count the sheep and check them in, check on the health of the sheep. In the morning, he would call, and the sheep would follow him out to the pasture. At midday, he would lead them to a place where they could find water, either streams or sometimes to a well where he would draw water for them. Toward the end of the dry season, the shepherd might even take his flock to the coastal plains and valleys. But when the cold rains began, he would lead them back home to winter indoors. I've watched shepherds lead sheep in Israel. Bethshan is one of, in the Jesus day, was one of the leading cities of the Decapolis. It's a Roman city in Israel. And there's a tell on the end of that city of ruins, of Roman ruins, that goes back much, much older into Old Testament period. One day when we were there visiting these archaeological sites, there was a shepherd on that tell allowing his sheep to graze. And as we started down that direction, he brought them off the hill. And I heard him call them by name, several of the sheep. And the sheep would look up and then start toward the shepherd. And he brought them all down off of that hillside into the valley below. A shepherd's life was not easy. Shepherds spent most of their time outside watching the flock, no matter what the weather was like. They often slept with, near their flock to protect it from robbers or wild animals. The shepherd's tools were just a rod, a staff, a sling. Each night, the shepherd would gather the flocks together in sheepfolds, either an enclosure of stone rocks that they might prepare or a cave, as we've mentioned. Shepherds used their rod to count the sheep each evening, and when they brought them, out in, uh, brought them into the fold, and again in the morning when they led them to pasture. If any of the sheep eluded or wandered off, the shepherd would search for it and bring it back to the fold. Good shepherds were diligent, dependable, and brave. First Samuel 17 says they even risked their lives to protect the flock. Now some scholars have concluded that shepherds were kind of societal outcasts during Jesus' day. One is quoted as saying, shepherds at this time were despised class. Others referred to them as lazy and despised people. One scholar said, in general, shepherds were dishonest and unclean according to the standards of the law but they represent the outcasts and sinners for whom Jesus came. It's clear that they were not in a position to keep all the legalistic laws of an Orthodox Jew. But maybe they were not that popular just because they were poor and they smelled a lot like their flock. The angel said, For today... In the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. A birth announcement. Not to Herod in his palace. Not to Augustus Caesar on his throne. 
not even to the chief priests and scribes, not to the great ones of the earth. But instead, the birth announcement to the shepherds, abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The announcement was made to the humble and to the lowly in the tiny village of Bethlehem, the city of David. You know, Israel had longed for a, for, for a time when a great and a historic king, a heroic king, like David, would come and reign over Israel. They had suffered subjection, captivity, and exile. Now they lived under the dark days of the heavy yoke of the Roman Empire, dominated. And they longed for a day when another king, like David, would come. The angel said, A Savior, Christ the Lord, a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You know, some of us have read these words so often that we miss the first surprise in those words. Was a manger a place for one sent from the Most High God? Was a stable a place in which to expect to find a Savior? Yet the wonder and mystery of the Incarnation is precisely in the fact that it happened just that way. For in the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and in all of the life of Jesus, there is a message. And the message is that not only is there a God, but that God has come very near. The angel said unto you, to you. You see, to believe that God is above us is one thing. To believe that God is strength sufficient for us is another and still more wonderful thing. But to believe that the God, that God who is not only almighty and all sufficient, but that he is God with us, that's like the best of things. The very best of things. God is near. He is here. The eternal God has come down in human form. The infinite entered our world in the person of a son at a particular moment in time. If we were the Almighty God, we would have planned it so differently. In some spectacular way, but God strips away all the world's pride and expectations and he meets us in the humblest of circumstances of our human life. God, the source of all life, reveals himself to us as a little child coming unnoticed in the stable of an unregarded town and announced to lowly shepherds. 
And you know, he, he was born just the way that he lived. Someone said, if he entered this world through a little door, so also it was through little doors that he lived his life. He worked with carpenters and fishermen, ordinary occupations and ordinary folk. His parables are about everyday work, a woman needing bread, the sower casting seed, the shepherd guarding the sheep, the worker in the vineyard. Everyday stories. He helped us to know that what mattered was not what we possessed, but by God's grace, what we had the capacity to become. You know, many go on pursuing our false and shallow satisfactions. We go on acting as though if we struggle very hard to make money or to keep it, if we fight our way to keep our power, if we can keep our pretense of our importance, then we'll be happy. But the truth is, we're not happy. We are desperately the reverse. One man said it like this, Oh God, deliver me from those artificial things that stifle me in their net. Give me the courage to let go of the effort to keep up appearances. Teach me to stop trying to seek enrichment in the things that glitter, but which turn to dust and ashes in my hands. Lead me back to life's simplicities, to the fresh, sweet springs of honest thoughts and uncalculating affections and to those relationships with human hearts which alone can make life rich and great. Today, we share again a birth announcement. A Savior has been born. We've been celebrating His birth for weeks. What a tragedy it would be if we missed the significance of the angel's announcement. Christmas is a celebration of new life and joy. Joy in the wonder that God is with us. Although ignored by some and rejected by others, he brings life and joy to those who, like the shepherds, respond to the announcement and find a Savior. Do you notice the last portion of our text today tells us what the shepherds' response to the announcement was? They found the Savior, and they went home singing. Do you think their lives were ever the same? Do you think they ever looked at a night sky the same again? Some of you know I'm a pretty serious Dickens fan. My favorite version of the Charles Dickens tale, A Christmas Carol, is the 1951 film version starring Alastair Sim as Scrooge. At the very end of the film, in the scene where he confronts Bob Cratchit and raises his salary, he sits at a desk and you hear him say, I don't deserve to be so happy. I can't help it. I just can't help it. You see, that's what's supposed to happen to us. 
when we meet the Savior. That's exactly what happens when we hear the announcement and we open our lives to his presence. Many of you have probably read or watched the movie version of the novel, The Count of Monte Cristo, by Alexander Dumas. In the story, Edmond Dantes is thrown into prison for a crime he did not commit. He is confined to the grim fortress Chateau d'If. There he meets an old priest who helps him solve the riddle of his imprisonment and also provides an education for him. As the old priest is dying, he shares with Edmund about a great treasure hidden on the Isle of Monte Cristo. The scene ends with this wonderful exchange of dialogue about the treasure. The priest says, when you escape, use it only for good. Dante says, no, I will surely use it for my revenge. The priest says, here now is your final lesson. Do not commit the crime for which you now serve the sentence. God said, vengeance is mine. Dante says, I don't believe in God. The priest replies, that doesn't matter. He believes in you. He believes in you. The message of the birth announcement, the message of Christmas is, God believes in you. God believes in you. And he has come to be with you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for the gift of a Savior, for the announcement of his birth. And Father, we come today acknowledging the fact that sometimes we act like the birth announcement never happened. Like the Savior never, never came. Like you're not here with us. Father, I pray that today, in a fresh and wonderful way, we will open our lives anew to the Savior's presence. I pray if there are those here today who have never responded to the invitation of the Savior, that they'll have the courage to do that today. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.